Kassler podcast episode 82 coming to you from the Hudson Valley. Sorry I was off for a couple weeks. I was traveling and uh, figured I'd kind of save up what I had to say, but I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys. I missed all your comments. You mean so much to me. I hope you know that. I think you do. And I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter or you saw me on Joy Reid Friday night, been doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of thinking, and I'm always running my big mouth. So happy to be back here. Let's get into it. A um, lot of news, right? <laughs> it wasn't like my absence, uh, you know, things quieted down and you got a lot of people commenting on stuff. I always like to focus on the big picture. And sometimes it's almost like, you know, there's, there's a, a delay. Like when, when you're on TV, there's a delay, right? You're talking and then it shows up on the screen later. And a lot of the things that we're reading about now, I feel like, dude, I was talking about that for years. You know, the Secret Service getting overcharged. You guys know, you listen to this podcast. I must have brought that up, you know, dozens of times with Jimmy. And I always make an example out of what he did to the DOD, which was he overcharged them for an apartment in Trump Tower that market value would have said was about 50 grand a month. 3,500 square foot, you know, apartment in that crappy building, but that's what it costs. It's a good location on Fifth Avenue. But anyway, he jacked the Secret Service for $130,000 a month for that apartment. And they signed an 18 month lease and he got 2.4 million out of DOD. And that was all public knowledge, you know, in 2017 and beyond. These articles were out there and I was sort of always compulsively paying attention to them and reading them. But, you know, things hit when when folks are ready to hear it, I guess. And, you know, there was an exhaustive, you know, House Oversight Committee investigation. Carolyn Maloney's my neighbor on the Upper East Side. Shout out to Carolyn and the kind of people that stayed on top of this because, you know, it was unbelievable. And the GSA was signing off on these checks and you had to know the Secret Service knew what was going down, <laughs> right? The guys that were on his detail where Trump was like, hey, Go back to your suite, order a steak. Don't worry about it. Charge it to the room. It's on the house. And it wasn't on the house. It was on us, right? Trump wasn't paying his taxes. He was grifting his entire time in office and he was using his own damn hotels to feed his coffers. And the dudes that were benefiting from it, the Secret Service guys, you know, I, I did a thread on this today and people were like, well, it wasn't their money. You know, they don't care because I alluded to some sort of quid pro quo that would have most certainly had to take place to look the other way, right? You know, it's still their agency. You know, agencies do have some kind of care over their annual budgets. It's not just like, hey, nobody adds this stuff up. Who cares, right? Any kind of grift against the government is inherently risky. And there's a lot of watchdog agencies. So the guys that are eyewitnesses to that sort of behavior, you want to make sure they're on your team 
And Trump had a real good way of doing that. And that's some of the stuff I talked about on Joy Reid the other night. You know, he has a way of pulling those guys in around him and, and, and sort of enmeshing himself with their lives. You know, how's the wife? How's the kids? You need any help? You need a recommendation, you know, for the school? You need me to help you get a mortgage? You know, as much as Trump doesn't pay his bills, he hands out favors. He's that kind of guy. And, and the kind of guy who's attracted to Trump is the kind of guy who's like, hey, he's a billionaire. My life could change. You know what I mean? I'm going to move into a better neighborhood. My kid's going to go to a better school. And that buys a lot of loyalty with cops and Secret Service types and veterans and stuff. And that's, you know, that's part of the grift. That's part of the game that the Trump administration was running on the American people, right? Because we saw it at DOD. You know, you had Mike Flynn's brother who got assigned to the Pacific Theater, you know, in charge of the army for the entire you know, Pacific region. Right. After he was acting at the Defense Department on the day of January 6th, when we found out from the last hearing, which was just on Thursday, you know what, what we found out what we already knew. Right. But we got proof that Trump knew he lost, he admitted he had lost, and the Secret Service had all these warnings about these attacked and these armed militia members that were coming to D.C., and they didn't pass those warnings along, right? They didn't take proper steps to protect the Capitol. You know, they protected Trump, but in a way that certainly wasn't transparent. The two lead agents that come up on the, in the news, Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel, Bobby Engel, it's from the town I, I lived in in high school, and I went to high school with Bobby. He's still married to somebody in my class. I haven't seen him in 30 years. Don't really know him. He was a year ahead of me. You know, he's a Marine, straight shooter kind of guy who became a Secret Service agent who had a distinguished career, you know, and, and married into a nice family. This is not like some mobster wannabe guys. These are law enforcement guys that obviously got corrupted at least to the point of sort of withholding and being cagey with the January 6th investigation, right? Because they said, look, we asked these guys, you know, about these texts and about what they knew and, and they weren't, you know, I forget how they said it, but they weren't, you know, they weren't being transparent, you know, <laughs> you know, or cooperative. And, and they're trying to probably protect their own asses now. And I get that, you know, they've both lawyered up with Trump world lawyers, Bobby's down in Tampa working on the counterfeit side of the Secret Service now. You know, that's not how you generally want your career to end up, I think, in the Secret Service. Tony Ornato had obviously, as we all know, taken an actual position in the White House. He became a political director for Trump in the White House and then went back to the Secret Service, which should have never been allowed. But it was and there wasn't a lot of oversight and cops protect cops. You know, I'm saying that metaphorically, but Chris Ray, the FBI, all these dudes dropped the bomb on January 6th and they know it and everybody knows it. They still can't find who planted the pipe bombs. They missed the pipe bombs in a Secret Service search, which is nuts. I've told you guys before, I worked on, a, you know, inaugurations and a lot of things that a president or an ex-president would come to. And I worked with a lot of Secret Service guys and like, the, the sweeps that are normally done are so exhaustive, they're ridiculous. You know, I told you the, the story when I, when I was working with Soundgarden at Barack Obama's, President Obama's second inauguration, we had sort of two performances, right? Chris Cornell was singing solo at the Commander in Chief's Ball, which is a really high profile thing where all the generals and stuff and the military people are in the room. It's a 
as sensitive as it gets. And then we did like a main performance downstairs on a stage with John Legend and and President Obama was going to obviously come to the commander in chief's ball. He walks in and takes a seat and that's sort of the beginning of the thing. And then Chris Cornell went out to sing, um, you know, that light a candle, leave a candle in the window. I forget. I always forget the proper title for that beautiful song. And Chris, of course, went out there and I told the story like his guitar was out and the tech looked at me and was like, can I run out there? And I was like, if you run out there right now, like you're getting shot. Like the president just walked in the room. Chris is on his own. So he dealt with the balance and I think stepped away from the microphone and just sang it. And that incredible legendary voice just filled up the room. Okay. But when we rehearsed that, I went up there with the band and their security guys and the secret service came up to me and they said, Hey, one of the guys on this security crew has a prior, you know, from a bar fight or something kind of minor 20 years earlier, but he can't be in the room tonight. Okay, dude. So you can't let him <laughs> in the building, essentially. Don't let him in that elevator with you guys. And it fell on me to tell this guy, like, sorry, dude, you got to wait out in the parking lot. <laughs> and he was pissed and he blamed me, obviously, but uh, I had no choice. But my point being is, you know, that was for some minor thing. And the guy was obviously there in a role of security, but Secret Service was so thorough, they weren't going to let the guy in the building. Right. And they didn't. And I actually ran into the guy at a Soundgarden concert. I was at a couple, like a week later back in New York. And I went backstage, the band invited me and I went back, you know, Hammerstein, if you guys know New York and, and uh, went back to say hi to uh, Matt Cameron, who plays drums and Kim and those guys and uh, Chris, who intimidated the hell out of me. God rest his soul. But um, just because he was such a talent, you know, but um the security guard walks out of the dressing room. He's like, oh, you again? Fuck you. <laughs> he like hated me. But my point being is that's how careful they were. And then in Trump's administration, I watched video of Chuck Zito backslapping Donald Trump on the floor of the garden with his kids at a UFC fight. Like, I can't tell you how far away that is from the protocol that I observed in my career of public events and how secret service agents protect the president, you know, Trump, Trump changed Trump, <laughs> Trump and Trump changed the world, the, the world they did. They changed the world of sort of the infrastructure and logistics of how presidents behave. Right. Because it was so much of that was on the honor system before. Right. You knew presidents would leave office and write a book and do speaking engagements and, you know, cash in to some extent. Trump went in there seeing what he could stuff in his pockets, you know, how much they could get out of maximizing the properties, which had always been sort of losing money and were basically, you know, licensing opportunities, right? Like Trump didn't actually build anything anymore. He would just lend his name to some project and they'd slap his tacky name, you know, in gold on the side of the building. And he'd send his daughter out to con people to move in and they might be neighbors with her and Jared, and then they'd take the money and run, right? So that end of the business had sort of fallen off financially before Trump became president. So the presidency became a big opportunity to not only continue the grift, but to pay some bills, right? People forget, but in Scotland, they changed the flight patterns. So the, the, the flight, the, the airline crews for the Department of Defense that were on this route where they would bring supplies to the Mideast, to Kuwait and stuff, 
they would generally refuel in Germany and stuff where we have big infrastructure and facilities. And they changed it under Trump's administration to land in this smaller airport, you know, in Scotland near his Trump, whatever it's called, you know, golf course. You guys will know it, the listeners. But so they did that. So so these guys that would normally stay, you know, in these sort of budget hotels or accommodations we already had on the bases were having to stay in a Trump hotel at like $500 a night, you know, the flight crews and pilots and aviators, you know, it's like that. And that's internationally, right. And that's messing with the supply chain for our military. Like that's bonkers that happened during his administration. And most people have probably forgotten about that uh, particular scandal. And thanks for putting the name or whatever that crappy golf course is in the comments. But uh, so you get the point, right? So everything that they looked at from geopolitics to domestic infrastructure to building the wall, which is ultimately a grift so he could get kickbacks from construction companies and fundraise off it, right? Everything was like, how do we maximize our profits? That's why they stole documents, right? Jared Kushner went in there and just, you know, what's of the most value, you know, and that's going to be nuclear secrets, you know, not just like weaponry, but, you know, energy, right? It costs a lot of money to de develop the technology that goes into all that stuff, not just the secrets and how valuable they are to other nations, which they're obviously tremendously valuable. And we now know that he gave the secrets of one nation to another in, turn, in terms of their nuclear defense capabilities. And we can all read between the lines, you know, how grateful Saudi Arabia was for that information on Israel. Okay. Probably they said, thank you 2 billion times, but maybe just did it to Jared instead of Trump himself, if you follow what I'm saying. But uh, so we see that time and time again, that they use the opportunity to fill their own coffers. And it's now sort of hitting the mainstream and hitting a lot of people because, you know, New York times just did a big piece on it, you know, but they've been, they've been writing about this all along, you know, a anytime there's sort of a big thing that, that starts to trend people are like, can you believe this? It's like, yeah, <laughs> this is not new. This is old news. And this is what we're putting up with still, right? Trump's on his way to do a rally in Texas this week. You know, the guy tweeted anti-Semitic hate yesterday about paying up that American Jews needed to pay him like Israeli did, right? Because Israel was involved in a lot of the shadier stuff that Jared Kushner was doing on behalf of Netanyahu, right? Not all of Israel or the Israeli people, but Netanyahu was shady and creepy and went back to, you know, the Jersey days with Kushner. He used to sleep in Kushner's bedroom to let you know how close they are, those families. And Netanyahu was a crook, right? So you know, there was a built-in grift going on internationally, right? But Trump only sees things transactionally, right? And every time you hear about a Trump resentment, that's because something personal happened in his life. So when he's attacking American Jews, you know, the Jewish people in America, he's pissed off at someone in particular. And I think it was Andy Latinsky, who was one of the guys who was quoted in the Washington Post in an article that came out about 12 hours before Trump tweeted his racist anti-Semitic missive yesterday. And it was about how Andy Latinsky got shaken down by Trump to give up his stock shares in Trump Media, which was the parent company of Truth Social, and to give them to Melania. Now, 
Trump already had 90% of this company and the company was a SPAC, which is a special project acquisition company, right? It means we're just going to go fundraise because we have an idea. It's sketchy as hell. It's a financial instrument, in my opinion, uh, akin to like, hey, I'm going on a drug run. Do you guys have any money? Like I'm driving down to the city, kick in. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't have any funding, but they were like, hey, we got this great idea. We're going to start a media company with Trump. And originally it was going to be a streaming service and, you know, Twitter, you know, but the truth social, that aspect and all the, all the things that you think of big to Amazon, they thought they were going to compete with Amazon. Ah. But anyway, so that's the idea that these guys hatch up in a coffee shop, you know, in, in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, and, and they, you know, Trump tries to shake them down and the other guy Wilkerson leaves and, and goes to the SEC and contacts a whistleblower. But there's, so there's a lot going on there. And you have to think about the fact that like Trump already had 90% of this company, these, these schmucks that are sitting around, like going to divvy up the 10% between the three of them, you know, and two of them were former apprentice contestants, including Adam, Andy, Andrew Latinsky, Andy Latinsky, you know, I believe I'm getting his name right. He was this the apprentice before I worked on it. But, you know, he, he looks like what if he isn't Jewish, Trump would think he's Jewish. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And I'm not even trying to content or comment, really, you know, on whatever his religious background is. It doesn't matter. But I know Trump well enough to know that in Trump's mind, this kid's Jewish. Right. And he sees this kid's name in the opening sentence of a new Washington Post expose, which revealed that the SEC is looking at Trump media, you know, this company he film, for, formed and the SDNY is as well. This is the, the company that Devin Nunes is running that has no real headquarters. You know, it's a, a server <laughs> in the back of some, you know, anonymous, you know, rented office space somewhere in, in Southern Florida. So the whole thing is sketchy as hell. And now it's yet another case that Trump is catching. So he's pissed off at these people. And what does he do? Right. He takes to the same media platform that this guy helped create, which is a, another convenient way to send a message. And he calls out the entire American Jewish diaspora. Right. Because they're not giving him enough money. You know, that's so beyond the pale offensive coming after a week where Kanye West, who's a fucking moron. Pardon me for cursing, but I've worked with Kanye a gazillion times. He's always been awful an awful, awful person. Ask anybody behind the scenes in production. He is a lunatic whose talent doesn't even come close to mattering when you consider what a crazy pain in the ass he was on every gig. Okay. There was no way he was deserving of any of the crap that people put up with, with for him, you know, in the industry forever. And you guys have heard me talk about chasing him around the 1212 Sandy benefit concert because he wouldn't sign the release and I was the SAG after guy. So it was my job to get everybody to sign these papers. And I got like the Rolling Stones and the Who, you know, and all these massive legends, you know, Springsteen, all these great artists sign off because it's a benefit and you've agreed to go there. And Kanye wouldn't sign the paperwork, meaning we could never really use his performance to raise any money after he muscled his way into the gig. Right. Because like he, he called them all racist because there weren't enough hip hop people there. He wasn't invited because he was a pain in the ass, you know, and it was put together like by these classic rock type bands. It was not 
trying to be segregated in any way, or there was nothing against Kanye, but he used that as a wedge to force himself onto the bill. And then he completely didn't cooperate. And he turned in an awful performance that people still talk about to this day, you know? And I, you know, I worked with that guy in VMAs in 2007 before he even did the Taylor Swift shit two years later. And he was that way. I remember showing up in Vegas and he was, you know, he was enraptured from some kind of like Japanese, like anime artist, some kind of pop artist he was all into. So he, he decided at the last minute, he wanted this guy to design this whole suite that we were doing this performance. in. we did all these performances in, in the Palm at Vegas. We filmed the main thing downstairs in like a big theater. And then we would have individual bands play in rooms. And I was there mainly with like the Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age and Lemmy and just badasses. <laughs> you know, that was my assignment, but somebody else had to do the Kanye room. It wasn't me. But uh, so he insisted that this room be redesigned, you know, at the 11th hour and it cost a fortune, like a fortune, fortune, <laughs> you know, and they did it. MTV did it. Viacom did it. And then he got to perform huge highlight, you know, massive, like, global reach if you're a pop artist you know this is 2007 when it still like mattered to watch that show and uh so it's worth a ton of money you know and at the end he was nominated for five awards he didn't get any and he threw a tirade backstage saying we were all racists and he did it to my friend adam siegel who's somebody i worked with forever <laughs> you know and i just remember kanye screaming at this guy that he's a racist and we're just like okay we all just worked like three days and like satisfied your every whim and you just got blasted out to billions of people you know and you're going to make a gazillion dollars off of this hit alone and now everyone else is a racist because you didn't win so he's always been a lunatic Right. He's always been an idiot. But then he fell under the sway of Trumpism and, you know, Candace Owens and all these kind of right wing hate mongers. And they've manipulated his mind, you know, not that he wasn't whacked out and, you know, doesn't have his own issues, but like they're using him as a weapon. You know, the way they we see them using Herschel Walker, you know, they're 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 taking advantage of like an obviously vulnerable person. And now he's on the offense and he's saying stuff that, you know, should get him locked up. They should put him in a mental ward, dude, you know, but it's dangerous. This is a dangerous time to be going all in on hate. Right. It's always a bad time for hate. Right. There's never any good time for that. But the point I'm trying to make is it feels like a multi pronged assault. When you have Trump and Kanye and Elon Musk interfering in Ukraine and giving Putin talking points and Tucker Carlson, who edited the Kanye video, by the way, right? What he aired was bad enough, but he apparently had said all this anti-Semitic stuff during the interview and Tucker Carlson edited it out because he knew they would have gotten in too much trouble to air it, which tells you a lot means he knowingly put on somebody he knew to be anti-Semitic, right? And, and, you know, Carlson's a guy who made his whole career off of anti-Semitism, right? The Daily Caller is a Nazi rag and Tucker founded that paper and all of his producers still work for the online magazine, right? So he's, a, you know, he's the guy who traffics in Nazi ideology and hate speech and white supremacist stuff with his cackling maniac narrative, right? So he willingly manipulated you know, this interview that he aired in two parts. So he gave Kanye two hours of airtime on Fox News, you know, a week ago, setting him up 
for his meltdown, you know, where he tweets when he gets back on Twitter, which Elon Musk welcomed him back to Twitter, right? And then within, because he got kicked off of Facebook for anti-Semitic stuff and Instagram, right? And then he's mad at Mark Zuckerberg. So because he's mad at Mark Zuckerberg, he goes off on these generalized, huge anti-Semitic tweets. Just like I explained to you, Trump being mad at an individual in a transactional way because you're sick mentally and you have resentments and character defects and you feel wronged. So you lash out, but not just at the individual, you lash out at a generalization, you know, a, a stereotype. I got to get this. This is the White House. Hold on. No joke. All right. I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. I know I was talking about Kanye and uh, his anti-Semitism and how he was pissed at an individual. And then he, you know, he used it to go after, you know, an entire group of people. And there's no place for that in the United States. And there's certainly no place for a former president to be tweeting it out on a Sunday morning. And it should all, in many ways, that should be the only story in the country right now. Right. I mean, that, it's not even in the headlines today on Monday, but it, it, it should have been so beyond the pale and, and so terrifying that, that we've sunk to that level that it was a bigger story, but it's not, but it, it's still terrifying. And it, it greatly unnerved, you know, any sentient being who cares and, and understands where we've come from. And, and in that particular way, you know, it, it's, 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 it, it's staggering. It, that was that was the White House. I know that sounds weird, not like Joe Biden or something, but somebody there uh, was getting in touch with me or something. Sometimes our messaging is is kind of the same. And I, I worked on a couple inaugurations as I was just talking about. So um, my name got put up for something, not not for a job or anything like that, just to to make contact, you know, for the for the for the, you know, the all hands on deck aspect of saving this democracy. Anybody who you know has a voice, your voice counts. And I found that this is a White House that wants to listen. You know what I mean? They're in touch with a younger generation. This student debt forgiveness thing is huge. You know, I, I applied this morning, and if I get it, I'll, I'll have knocked off the interest that I've been paying since I graduated drama school in 1996. I'll still. Oh, the principal. And I've been paying for over 20 years, $225 a month or whatever. And I haven't paid every year. You know, I took forbearances after 9-11 and the beginning of the pandemic. But, you know, I basically paid up. I've never gone into default and I've been paying into that thing for decades. And I owe a lot more now than I owe than I borrowed. Uh, so if I can get some of that interest cut off, it's a good thing. And it'll be a game changer for a lot of people. And, you know, that's good news, right? That's the kind of thing we need to talk about. Because as I was talking about the anti-Semitism and the, the craziness of this messaging, you know, we're, we're, we get caught up in this media storm of, hey, the poll numbers are down. You know, the, you know, the, the people don't care in the GOP, the state, you know, a, a, like the, the state governors and the secretaries of state that are all in on the big lie that are running on that platform, the Carrie Lakes, who was on CNN yesterday in her soft focus camera, looking like some Nazi's wife, you know, like an Aryan's wet dream of a slick talking fascist. That woman scares me, you know, but all of that stuff is going up against, you know, 
a media narrative that in many ways is still addicted to the horse race, right? Wow, that light's bright. Sorry, I turned on the light. But, um, you know, they're, they're addicted with like Biden's approval rating is low, which is ridiculous. It shouldn't be, but we're in a crazy divided nation and all these people in the red states aren't even getting the truth, right? They're living in fantasy land. I went down to Florida, guys. You know, here's my big reveal. I haven't talked about it. It's why I took a break from the pod. I wanted to see for myself what was going on down there after the hurricane hit. You know, so I delayed my trip, you know, from the hurricane. I went down there. I didn't go to the West Coast because they're cleaning up and that's no place for me. I don't have any skills to offer in that. But I wanted to get a sense of the climate, so to speak. I wanted to see how engaged people seem on a day-to-day basis on the streets, you know, and I, I most importantly wanted to be in the local media market because I wanted to see what these ads look like. And I was horrified. <laughs> okay. It was such a vision of a dystopian future that I honestly have been like tongue tied to even record a podcast about it. I'm writing about it. I might do some stuff in this newsletter, but it's a lot to unpack. And I had in mind almost a, uh, you know, like the kind of reporting you would read in the seventies, you know, like almost gonzo journalism, you know, where Hunter S Thompson or somebody would go down to the convention in Miami and you just got a sense of the scene, you know, that old kind of style journalism I grew up reading and it was fascinating, you know, or, or Tom Wolf, you know, where you're in this place and it's dramatic. And, and I figure there's no more dramatic a story than what's going on down there. So I wanted to vibe it out for about a week. And I did. And, uh, you know, I did everything from I was in Fort Lauderdale, you know, where a friend of mine has a really cool environmental thing where they're going to use underwater turbines and stuff to, to, to cool, you know, big servers and they can use that stuff for energy, you know, and there's a lot of people in Florida sort of looking to move towards green energy and adapt to, you know, the obvious like issue of climate change bearing down on them. And then there's the corporate masters that own Ron DeSantis and the row after row of McMansions, you know, in Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach and Miami, where these guys got super yachts parked outside on their dock and, you know, they're just laundering money, you know, and they're all living in a state without any personal income tax, you know, but they got a 150 foot boat outside their 17 room waterfront mansion and they're just go on for miles. And then you drive out of those neighborhoods inland, you know, and it's row after row of houses that look like the people could probably use a break right? That they could probably use some of the tax money that Ronald DeSantis is pilfering and keeping for himself or keeping to use immigrant stunts, you know, use human beings as immigrant stunts. And he was making these commercials. The scariest part was these commercials. Like I saw this one where it was a bunch of World War II vets or supposedly, right? It was probably like some guys they found at the villages, you know, at the community theater. But uh, they're all sitting around a table playing poker or something, you know, talking about what a straight shooter DeSantis is. You know, they're talking about him like he's the captain and saving Private Ryan right? Like this every man, American patriot, you know, they respect his service. He was a Navy JAG who have advised the SEAL teams during the Fallujah surge as to what was within the bounds of the Geneva Convention. And if anybody would have been like, hey, do whatever you want, it's Ron DeSantis, <laughs> right? Who, who had his own covert op, right? 
with what he did in, in, in San Antonio with the migrants, right? And we can get into that on another issue. But, you know, and then he was at Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay, dealing with interrogated enemy combatants, you know? So I shiver to think about the sort of atrocities that that guy's either committed or looked the other way on, because he seriously seems like a psychopath, you know, and a sadist. And if you read the New Yorker profile, that's essentially what they say. Like even his close friends are like, yeah, guy has no human empathy. Like if you can't do anything for him, he doesn't know you and he doesn't care. And uh, that's the worst thing you can have in a leader, you know, unchecked ambition, complete venality and a hunger for money and not giving a crap about your fellow man. And we saw that in his reaction to the hurricane. He was using all these things as press junkets, right? I mean, we saw the ridiculous white boots. He looked like a go-go dancer, you know, like he was going to be on laughing that night or something, right? But he's showing up with his wife. He had his wife set up the fund and went on the airs and said, don't send money to the Red Cross, send it directly to our state, to us, to a fund that my wife manages. That's insane, right? And now we've learned that in the counties that were Republican that got damaged, he's made it easier for those people to vote because you were running up against you know, mail-in ballot deadlines and registration deadlines. So he's relaxed those rules in the case of the emergency for these counties, which he should, right? You want everybody voting across the board. You don't want to make it harder for any American to vote, whether they're in your party or not, right? We want everybody voting and it should be easy. But he's made it easier for the Republicans and harder for Orlando, the blue district, the blue county, right? Who also was damaged and had historic flooding occur in the hurricane, but he's punishing them because he's gerrymandering and he's gerrymandering via climate catastrophe while taking tremendous amounts of money from the Koch brothers and the oil and gas industry. You know, I told you about it before when he came into Congress and he was a junior freshman, he contacted all of the Koch brothers political action committees, right? And got meetings. It's very hard to get those meetings. Everybody goes after those guys. Because if you get their backing, you're a made man like Joe Manchin. You know, you have unlimited funds, but you got to prove yourself to them because everybody wants a piece. And he got it. He was able to convince them and they've backed him ever since, right? So all of his decisions are made with what's best for big industry, you know? And you saw the same thing in his response to COVID, right? It was all about his you know, his buddies that, you know, who made Regeneron, which is up here in Westchester in New York, you know, but he wouldn't let let you get vaccinated, but you could go to Regeneron clinic that they were running in libraries and people were literally crawling in there to get the monocloidal antibodies after they got sick, instead of keeping them from getting sick. We all know how he shut down the testing centers. He stopped reporting the cases right before the election in 2020 to help Trump. You know, we know about Christina Pushaw, who's blocked me a long time ago on Twitter. She's his sort of aide de camp and his, you know, his, his right hand woman. So it's all sketchy, you know, it's, it's all just terrifying. And when I went down there, it was nuts. It was really almost like too much to comprehend when you looked at a, when you looked at the complete picture. I mean, if you just take it from a conservation environmental standpoint, South Florida is, is a nightmare, right, waiting to happen. The amount of energy that's being used in all these giant high rises that have 
the AC on 65 all day long. You know, every hotel I walked into a giant lobby, giant, you know, like, like, you know, 15,000 square foot marble lobby, you know, at some hotel in Aventura, that's like 68 degrees, like 63 degrees, like you're freezing walking in there. You know, you're like, how much energy is being wasted and being used by office building off office building. You know, they all look like office parks. The whole place just kind of looks like an office park. Now, I'm not trying to diss on y'all. It's just overbuilt, right? Because you had politicians letting every developer in the world go down there and strike gold. So it's strip mall after strip mall. It's like, how many fucking Michaels do you guys need? <laughs> you know, but so, so there's the amount of energy being used. Every other car was a giant pickup. Traffic was insane. It was like 98 degrees every day. I mean, it was completely hot and humid. So I get why you're using the AC. I'm not blaming you for that, but it's not sustainable, right? Or at least the way it's being used now. I didn't see a whole lot of solar power, you know, pa panels and stuff. And it was sunny the entire time, right? And then I went down to Key Largo, which was beautiful. And I went kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding. I was trying to see manatees, which is like a lifelong pursuit. I've only really tried twice, but twice I've failed. I went to Upper Captiva, North Captiva some years ago and couldn't find them. And I couldn't find them this time, but I, I looked, you know, and I paddled down the mangrove and I went to a national or state park down there in the uh, south of the Everglades in the Keys. And I sat on like, a, there's a shipwreck, you know, there's a scuba diving area. And I sat on the shore and uh, like, you know, there's the kind of like, it's kind of like a lagoon type area. They have crocodiles in there and there's a lot of vegetation in the water and mangrove swamps and stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, like the kind of leaves, leaves and stuff you'd get in your yard. You know, a lot of that kind of stuff is in the water, right? So it's, washing up on the shore and I look in it and it's just gazillions of microplastics, just tons, like every square inch probably had a hundred little microplastic pieces of microplastics and, you know, multicolored. And that's what plastic breaks down to all those bottle caps, you know, and all those balloons and all that crap that ends up into our oceans gets broken down and it becomes these, you know, tiny pieces of brightly colored plastic that animals then eat, you know, and it's it obviously is deadly to wildlife. It's deadly to human life and it's deadly to planet life. So ecologically, that was a terrifying thing to see, you know, in, in a beautiful place. And it, and it came, you know, a few days after or before learning, you know, we lost a billion snow crabs last year and we've lost like 6 billion in the last three years. And now that industry is shut down from overfishing from dredging, you know? So the effects of climate change, the effects of the policies that allow industries to reap, wreak havoc, you know, on our planet from oil and gas to, to, to overfishing, you know, to, to commercial agri animal agriculture, you know, which is probably the chief culprit, you know, besides burning fossil fuels of, of, of methane gas releases. So, you know, it, it's all coming together now, you know, it, it's all sort of, as I talk about every week, it's all solidified in this battle of, of, you know, right versus left. And the, the right is painting it in this narrative, like the commercial I described, right? So if you're a guy, you know, who tends 
conservative and you only come in contact with the water when you're hopping on your boat to go catch some tarpon or something, or you're already past those years and you're just sitting in your condo somewhere in Florida and going golfing twice a week, you know, you're thinking that this straight shooter looking guy pretending to be top gun, you know, and his commercial cares about you and cares about your freedoms and your country, you know, and your standards, whereas reality, they're being robbed from you. You know, and if you went out there and walked the beaches, you would weep if you saw what it was doing to your planet, you know, and what kind of world your grandkids and their kids were going to inherit, because it's not going to be a habitable one. You know, it's not going to be much fun living down there in 50 years if the seas continue to rise and all that stuff is going to happen now. It's just a question of like, how bad do we want it to get? You know, we're already in a much worse place much sooner than like even the most dire people had predicted. But, you know, how bad are we going to let it get before we start doing something about it? Because you have to do something about it. Like sooner or later, it's going to play out. It's either going to shake us off or we're going to help save this thing, you know? And I'd rather be a part of the team that wants to make a difference. But that's not how it's being sold, right? That's not what you're seeing if you're the Florida voter or the Georgia voter, right? You're hearing all these talking points that you your ears have been primed to if you're living in the ecosphere of the conservative MAGA movement for the last six years or 10 years or 15 years, essentially. This wasn't, you know, there's a lot of layers to get us to this point we're at now, but now we're at the absurdist point, you know, the point where it is binary. It is almost a good and evil situation, Right. But it's not being presented that way, right? Ron DeSantis isn't like, hey, if you like microplastics, I'll make sure they continue to wash up. You know, I'll make sure the insurance industry gets to write the laws so you don't get to file a claim for your house that just got blown away. And I'll make sure the Koch brothers keep sending me these fat checks so we won't stop them. Go buy a, another huge pickup truck because you live in South Florida, you know, where it snows all the time and you have so many ranches. <laughs> that was the other thing. Like, what do you, what do all these people have these pickup trucks for? I make fun of it up here, you know, where at least it's somewhat rugged there. You're paid. It's all paved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you're hauling something from Aventura down to South beach. Like what, what is it? And they were all shiny and they all had a sticker on the back showing their gun and some clever threat, how they would kill you if you messed with them. Who wants to live that way? What kind of way is that to live in that kind of fear, especially in a state where you've had two of the most horrific mass shootings in this country, the Pulse nightclub and Parkland and the same politicians that were on duty then at your state level, your Rick Scott's and your Marco Rubio's, you know, are still there today. You know, you're Ron DeSantis. None of these guys stood up to the NRA. None of them stopped it. In fact, to get your vote, you know, they made it easier to get shot. You know, they have the stand your ground laws where any two idiots can shoot at each other if they feel threatened or if someone's radio is too loud. That's no way to live. It's like the Wild West meets like completely boring suburbia strip mall too hot it would have been the most beautiful place on earth but you ruined it with all this pavement and these ugly ass high rises <laughs> kind of places in the country and i'm a fan i like sunshine i like beaches man you know 
I love all the birds you have. You know, that's why I'm going so hard on this because I, I can't imagine the paradise that South Florida would have been, you know, before it has been ruined, you know, just from an ecological nature standpoint, you know, the amount of species, it blew my mind to being down in the Keys. I'd never been to the Keys before. You know, there was an iguana, huge iguanas. When I'm sitting on the beach at the hotel, there's these iguanas walking around. I'm like, that's crazy. That's an exotic pet. Like that's the most interesting thing in the world. And they're vibing with me, man. They observe, they look at things, you know? And there was squirrels down there too, which is so weird to see iguanas and squirrels hang out. I'm like, what? Mind blowing. And, and you know, and nature is so beautiful. Like this world is such a wondrous place. This weekend, I'm up here with the trees are changing. You know, I'm lucky, like there's a hundred trees, you know, on the property I live in at least. And, you know, there's sugar maples and red oaks and things that are like firework displays. It's so beautiful. It, it makes you cry, you know, as I've talked about before. You know, nature is a wonderful thing. This planet is beautiful. All these creatures are miraculous from the octopus or the jellyfish that turn a thousand colors, you know to the koala bears and, you know, it just, it breaks my heart, you know, it breaks my heart what's happening to this world and seeing how it gets funneled into this, you know, divisionist politics with these guys that are just so transparently evil, you know, and they've conned so many Americans into believing this crap and that's how they do it. It's the messaging, it's the iconography of hate and patriotism. And that's why I hammer that point home. Every week now for 82 episodes, basically, I bring it up every week because it's so much a part of the story. Because unfortunately, so many people are so sort of uneducated, unempathetic, and uninformed when it comes to their politics. And they've been buried under such an avalanche of lies that they have no choice about critical thinking anymore. You know, and I'm terrified that we're going to wake up to some shocking things 21 days from now when people head to the polls. In the midterms, right? Because you're going to have your Ron Johnsons and your whack jobs that'll probably get voted out and then they'll contest the results. You'll have Carrie Lake, who already said she only accept the result of her winning. And you got to understand these people will become heroes if they lose and they stand up and say, we're not accepting that result. They'll be able to fundraise off it. Trump will show up and rally around it. It'll be a grift and it'll go round and round the ecosphere. It'll provide content for Fox News and Tucker Carlson every night, and it'll achieve their ultimate goal, which will be to continue to divide us and royal us up. You know, while Putin does whatever the hell bad stuff he's doing and Elon Musk tries to control the social media who just posted today that something's coming with Kanye, who bought Parler, which was the right wing social media messaging app or platform or whatever. Right. So it's all this chaos helps their cause. Right. Because it keeps us from focusing on climate change. It keeps us from talking about the good news of Biden's administration, you know, going after childhood poverty, going after student debt, going after inequality, getting rid of stupid laws that have people locked up for marijuana possession, you know, or distribution and registering pot the same you would like heroin. You know, it's insane. Right. So much insanity we've accepted and so much of the status quo doesn't want to change that. And it's been married with all this crazy right wing. Anybody can be a big star online, 
right? Kyle Rittenhouse just launched a podcast, a YouTube channel yesterday where he talks about guns and sits there and poses with guns behind him, you know, and talks to other gun nut gun bros. You know, you got to fight against that kind of iconography, that toxic masculinity BS. You don't need a gun. And if you're a normal guy and you have a hunting rifle, lock it up somewhere and keep your damn mouth shut. Nobody's coming for your gun, but it doesn't have to be a lifestyle choice. Nobody has a right to an AR-15. And when teenagers become celebrities from murdering people and then get YouTube shows that'll probably make a lot of money, you better worry. You better watch out. You know, what Alex Jones did was despicable and, and his verdict came in in my absence and he's owing a billion dollars and he was fundraising off it as he was getting sentenced because he didn't show up in court, which by the way, is about 20 miles from me as the crow flies. And there's no bigger scumbag than Alex Jones or anybody like a Joe Rogan who would put him on his podcast, you know, that's, but that's the kind of messaging that, 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 that influences the basement bros, the same people who lack, lack a sense of empathy, you know, that would even can talk in a, in a negative way about the, the parents who lost their children in a mass shooting, let alone profit from it, encourage people to pee on their graves and stuff, which is what Alex Jones did, okay? And continued to go about his show and do it. They all become stars off of this stuff. Roger Stone, you know, Mike Flynn. These, the, the crimes that these men have committed are heinous. They're beyond the pale. And when American history is written, if it survives this moment, people will be stunned at the lack of action in the times we're living through that we all just sort of stood around like, is this really happening? I'm not saying I know what we should do, but I'm saying history will not be kind to this moment. You know, it's insane. The debasement of our political ideology and our culture. And that's what we can fight back on. That's where the love comes in. That's where the creativity and the spirit and the realizing we are together, you know, and we're stronger together and diversity is our strength. You know, that's why we share art and music and culture. And that's why Tucker Carlson attacks poets and teenage climate activists like Greta Thunberg because they're afraid of that. They don't want you getting in touch with their humanity. That's why they mock Hunter Biden and his phone call from his father saying, hey, son, I love you. You're in a mess. And I know you don't know how to get out of it. I don't either. But I know we both need help. And I, I know I love you. That's all you want to hear when you're in throes of addiction. I've been there myself. That's a beautiful message. And that's on point as far as Al-Anon goes. That was an educational moment, what they shared with America with a disease that affects all of us. Everybody's got it in their family. If you don't, you're lucky and you're one of the few. I got it in mine. I'm in recovery myself. There's no shame in it. It's not a crime. Addiction is a disease. It's not a crime. Okay. And love is an attribute. It's not a character defect, but it shows you how broken Fox News is that they would share that as if it was some sort of gotcha. Right. But the message in that is they don't want people healing. They don't want people recovering, getting in touch with their problems, admitting their faults and making amends for it and living an honest life. It's easier to have you react in anger and fury and blame the other because then you're not going to look at them picking your pocket. And that's what they're going to continue to do until we wise up. And we're going to get everybody to wise up. And I love you guys. I love you for listening. I'm sorry I took a little break. I'll be back regularly. 
Sorry, I took a phone call in the middle of this one. I don't know how long this episode is. I'll come back soon and make up some more, but I think that's good for a while since we've been on break. So once again, I appreciate all you guys. It was fun to be on Joy Reid's show last week and uh, follow me on Twitter. I've been writing a lot. I'm trying to get my people to set up this sub stack. So I'll let you know about that when that comes out, my people. <laughs> you know how it is, big mogul. Anyway. You guys are great. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. This is episode 82 of the Noel Kassler podcast. Peace.